Good morning. Different is beautiful. Uh, have you ever experienced what C.S. Lewis calls a first friend? So, so a first friend is someone that like you have this instant connection with, right? Uh, for me, uh, I can remember a buddy in college. His name was Kurt Epp. And I was a junior, uh, he transferred in his junior year, and he wound up being uh, in the floor that I was an RA on. Uh, Kurt didn't room with me, he roomed with a, uh, a mutual friend uh, of ours, but Kurt and I just became like thickest thieves, right? Like it was just instant and easy, and uh, Kurt and his family, they live in Switzerland uh, right now, have for the last few years. Last time I saw him was probably about three years ago. And I hadn't seen him for about 10 years before that. But any time that Kurt and I get together, it's as if we just said goodbye the day before. Did you have any friends like that? They're just like, man, like, we just kind of think the same way. We like the same things. Like, everything is easy. C.S. Lewis describes a first friend this way. He says, uh, there is nothing to overcome in making him your friend. He and you join like raindrops on a window. I like that. We all need first friends because first friends help us know that we're not alone in the world, that there's other people like us that make us feel like we fit. But first friends are not all the friends we're supposed to have. C.S. Lewis goes on to describe second friends. Second friends are the ones that uh, really almost feel more like enemies than friends themselves. In fact, uh, in C.S. Lewis's book, Surprised by Joy, he describes them this way. He says, He is someone who disagrees with you about everything. He is not so much the alter ego as the anti-self. Of course, he shares your interests, otherwise he would not become your friend at all. But he has approached them all at a different angle. He has read all the right books, but has got the wrong thing out of every one. <laughs> it is as if he spoke your language, but mispronounced it. When you set out to correct his heresies, you find that he instead has decided to correct yours. And then you go at it, hammer and tongs, far into the night, night after night. You're walking through a beautiful country that neither of you gives glance to, each learning the weight of the other's punches. Often... They feel more like a mutually respectful enemy than friends themselves. And then he goes on to say this, though. Actually, though it never seems so at the time, you modify one another's thoughts, and out of this perpetual dogfight, a community of mind and deep affection emerges. Do you have any second friends? Uh, for me... Uh, one of my second friends, although it's not completely fair to say because in many ways he feels like a first friend, but is uh, Dr. Jim Samra. Uh, Jim is the senior pastor at Calvary Church over on Beltline. Uh, Jim and I were in a small group together uh, when he and I both, well, I should say he moved back from Dallas and I moved from Chicago. Uh, and uh, we became uh, friends, but uh, there were certainly uh, periods within our friendship where Jim thought this and I thought this, and neither one of us are afraid to share our opinions. I know, shocked that you are that I would be willing to share my opinions, I'm sure. 
Uh, the problem is, is Jim's way smarter than me. So uh, my blows feel like little things like this, whereas his are like full on, you know. Jim's one of those second friends that quite honestly, he has helped to shape me into a better father, a better husband, a better pastor, and ultimately a better follower of Jesus. Uh, in fact, uh, much of what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning actually comes from a book that he wrote uh, called The Gift of Church. Uh, you see, we're in our series right now on manifesto, which is really about our values, who we are as a church, who we want to be as a church. And today's value is different is beautiful. Simply means we are stronger, better, and more beautiful because of our diversity. Jim goes on to describe the difference between first friends and second friends. He says this, he says, first friends help us realize we are not aliens in this world. Second friends ensure that we do not become mere clones. First friends reassure us that we are fine just the way we are. We fit. We matter. Second friends remind us that we are not. That we have work to do, growth to achieve, things that need to be shaved off to become more like Christ. First friends offer a sense of solidarity. Second friends provide us with a taste of variety. First friends allow us to enjoy warm companionship. Second friends, though, allow us to experience true community. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at uh, a smattering of passages this morning. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Uh, we've got some folks that will just walk down and make sure that you have one that you can follow along with us. Or you can pull out your phone since you all probably have your Bibles on your phone. That's cool too. Before we jump into Genesis 2 though, I just want us to recap what we've looked at so far in our series. If you remember, uh, three weeks ago I kicked us off talking about our first value, which I think has primacy of place. It is the value awe and wonder. That is simply the belief that we have that when we gather together as the body of Christ, that Christ is uniquely present among us. Therefore, we expect to experience the power and presence of God in our assembly. That to me is one of our primary and gets primacy of place values. Because what I said before is, I don't want you coming to TLC on Sundays uh, expecting good teaching, or good worship, or good kids ministry, or good coffee, or good friends. Like, I hope you get all of that, but that's not why you come. I want you to be here because you come in with an expectation that the living God is actually going to be here and speak to us in unique and powerful ways. That we're actually opening up a window to heaven to experience the worship that's happening 24-7. You see, when you come in with the expectation that you're going to meet with God himself, it not only changes what you experience, but it changes what others experience. And... Uh, we believe and expect, and I'm sure that in our audience today is probably some folks who are a little skeptical about Jesus and the church. If that's you, you don't have to raise your hand, but just know that I'm glad you're here. We expect to have folks that are part of our church that are asking the tough questions, that are saying, is this Jesus thing real? Does church actually matter? Why would I want to spend an hour or two of my week 
engaging in something like that? If you're asking that question, if that's maybe a thought you have, I'm glad that you're here because uh, I believe that Jesus is real because <laughs> I've experienced him. And I believe that what happens when we gather together is not only foundational to forming a proper identity, but foundational to experiencing the life that we were created and intended to live. And church, those of you that claim to be followers of Jesus, when you come here with the expectation that you're going to meet with God Himself, that begins to change how others experience what takes place in this space. And so I would simply ask that if you're here today, and you are, (laughs) that you would come in saying, all right, God, if you're real, say something. The second thing that we talked about, our second value, Austin taught on a couple weeks ago was would she weep? Which is probably my favorite worded value that we have. Would she weep? It's really the concept that we want to love and serve our city so well that if God were to take us out of here in one fell swoop, that our city would mourn that we are no longer around. Now, I'll be honest, this is one of the most aspirational values that we have, all right? Our city barely knows we exist at this point, all right? We get it, we understand that, that's cool, uh, but we want to change that. And the way that we change that is by loving and serving our city with passion, with effectiveness, with thoughtfulness, with love. And, and, and that is happening in some of the things that we're doing. Our partnership with Kenosha, we're seeing more and more people get involved and connected with that. Uh, we've got other things that we do in and around the city, things like the, the river cleanup uh, that we've participated in, the Arbor Day that we've participated in, and Austin is actually going to be championing, championing this value for us and giving us more opportunities, experiments for us to dive into to see what God wants us to continue to do as an organization to serve the city. But here's the deal. This value never happens if you don't own it yourself. Because there's only so much that our church as an organization can do. As you guys continue to live this value out by serving your neighbors, the block that God's placed you on, the street that God's put you on, right? The, the co-workers that you come in contact with as you serve them, that's really how this value is going to get itself lived out. It's the work that we do in our everyday lives. Last week, Jordan spoke on our third value, Lone wolves die. Jordan crushed it. It was so good, and it was so hard, because he said stuff that I was like, yo, man, that's hard, (laughs) right? Because community, like, we love it when it's easy, but the best community is rarely easy, right? Because the best community involves second friends, friends that don't always think exactly the way that we do, and they challenge us, and they become iron for us. You see, iron sharpens iron only when it hits itself, right? This doesn't do nothing. Lone wolves die. We believe that we were created by God to flourish in community, and we need one another. And today I get to talk about different is beautiful, that we are stronger, better, and more beautiful because of our diversity. So Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Genesis 2, verse 18, we read these words. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now this is God speaking. We're in the middle of creation. God has created everything, including Adam. 
but it is not good. That's big time words because everything God has done so far has been good. And now he says something is not good. Continue on in verse 19. He says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. God goes on then to create Eve out of a rib or flesh or half of Adam. And it's easy to think that Eve was simply created for reproduction, right? Because if they're going to fill the earth like God had commanded to do, uh, you're not going to do it just with Adam by himself, right? Maybe. You see, I don't think God created Eve simply for reproduction. In fact, I, don't, I think that's actually one of the beautiful, amazing gifts that he has given to females. But I don't think it's the primary reason that God created females. You see, uh, did you know that uh, there's a number of animals that can actually reproduce asexually? This is weird to even think about, but it's true. Listen, listen to this list of animals. Uh, some lizards a species of hammerhead sharks, some crayfish, and Komodo dragons that can actually produce, reproduce asexually, all right? If God wanted to, he could have created Adam to reproduce asexually, all right? He didn't. But Eve is not only created simply so that she can help Adam reproduce, there's more to it than that. You see, God is more fully revealed in male and female than he is in male alone. God loves diversity. God built diversity into us as humans, starting off with the very fact that he created male and female. Uh, but have you ever wondered the question like, what, what race were Adam and Eve? What ethnicity were Adam and Eve? I mean, like, are, are they the original parents of Africans or Asians or probably Middle Easterners, right? We think maybe it's got, or Latinos, or Anglos, or... Did you know that there's over 5,000 ethnicities in the world today? So what were Adam and Eve? I had one guy come up and tell me afterwards they were most definitely Cuban. I think he may have been a little biased because he was Cuban, but... <laughs> Adam and Eve carried within them in their DNA that God had given them the potential for all the ethnicities. God actually places that in them on purpose because God thinks different is beautiful. Male and female. All, in fact, God actually says, uh, he says it to Adam and Eve, and then after the flood happens, uh, he says it to Noah in, in chapter 9, verse 1 of Genesis. He says, uh, I want you to go into all the world and fill it. Multiply and fill the earth. Now, uh, they start to do okay with that, Noah's descendants, right? They're growing and filling. In fact, they're even moving out. Uh, they're moving eastward to what is now modern-day Iraq. And uh, we find, though, in chapter 11 that they don't want to continue God's diversity plan. So chapter 11, uh, we read these words starting in verse 1. 
says, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Verse 3, they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, now listen, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, I taught on this a few weeks ago, actually, this very passage. And uh, we talked about the primary teaching that I think God wants to give us out of this passage. But a lot of times when we teachers are teaching a passage, there is a primary meaning with the passage, but there's also other things that God is trying to teach us. I'd like to bring out one of those things in today's message. Let's continue reading, though. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. You see, God's desire was that they would move out, that the diversity that he had built into Adam and Eve, that he desired to be sent out into the world, male and female, different ethnicities, would actually move out. And God knew that if they weren't willing to obey him, then that wasn't going to happen. And so God had to come down and say, all right, fine, you guys aren't going to do what I asked you to do. Then I'm actually going to have to do something about it. You see, we often think of what happened in Genesis 11 as a punishment. And it was a punishment for disobedience. But it was also so that God's plan could continue to move as he intended. His plan for a diverse earth that was going to show off who he actually is. Uh, Dr. Samra actually believes that there's four reasons, four major reasons. There's definitely more than four, but four major reasons that God designed diversity into the human race. So, I'm going to give you these four. Number one, the first reason that God intentionally created diversity is that diversity teaches us to love. Diversity teaches us to love. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Uh, this is a story that you've heard uh, a number of times. It actually starts in verse 25, but I'm going to start reading in verse 30. Basically, a guy comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? Okay, and uh, Jesus says to him, what have you read in the law? How do you read it? And he answers, love the Lord your God yourself and love your neighbor as your wealth. And Jesus says, good job. That's fantastic. And then dude says, all right, then if it's about loving my neighbor, well, then Jesus, who's my neighbor, Right? Jesus goes on to share this story. Verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, someone like him, happening, uh, happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, who was also like him, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was not like him, 
as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. How do I inherit eternal life, Jesus? Love God and love your neighbor. Well, yeah, but who's my neighbor? The one who's different than you. And Samaritans weren't just different, okay? Samaritans were despised. It's obviously not an accident that Jesus chooses to use not just someone who's different, but someone who is despised. You see, we think racism was like something that's been around the last few hundred years or something, but racism's been around for forever, almost since the beginning of time. Uh, Jews at this point in Jewish history were incredibly racist against Samaritans. And God winds up making the Samaritan the hero of the story. It's insane. Unless we understand that God believes that different is beautiful. And that diversity teaches us how to love. You see, it's one thing to love somebody who's exactly like you. In fact, Jesus addresses this very thing in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 46 Jesus, well, you know what? It'll be up on the screen. I'm just going to give you part of it. Jesus actually says, if you love those that love you, what reward is that? You see, it's easy to love somebody that's just like me because that's just like loving myself. And I'm good at that, my friend. Let me just, I'm good at loving myself. It's way different when it's somebody who's not like you, who doesn't think like you, who maybe comes from a very different background as you, a different culture than you, who sees things differently than you. Uh, Dr. Samra says this. He says, the best demonstration of Christian love, according to Jesus, is loving those who are not like you. Diversity is a gift from God, an opportunity for us to learn to love as he loves. Commonality gives us the opportunity to like others and celebrate what we have in common. Diversity draws us deeper, giving us the chance to truly love others in the way God loves others. The first reason that God uh, intentionally created diversity is to teach us how to love. Back in 2014, uh, my wife and I were in Vegas. Scandal. We were actually there for a church planting assessment. Uh, we had gone through a bunch of tests and we were meeting with some people who were going to talk to us about whether or not God had called us to church planting. Uh, uh, we felt a call, um, but we weren't sure where God was um, calling us at the time. Uh, and so they actually told us we shouldn't plant yet. <laughs> and we didn't. We waited for two years uh, until God revealed that he wanted us right here in GR. But while we were there, the World Cup was going on. And uh, uh, I love soccer, all right? I love the World Cup. It's like one of my favorite things. I wish they would like do it every two years instead of every four years. It's like, it takes so long, especially when your stupid team makes boneheaded mistakes and doesn't get into the World Cup. But I'm slowly getting over that massive disappointment. But back in 2014, we were in the World Cup, right? We had just played Ghana. We had beat them. We were in the group of death. Germany, Ghana, Portugal. 
We beat Ghana. We were playing Portugal with Ronaldo. All the ladies like, oh my goodness, Ronaldo. It's all right, it's all right, I get it. Ronaldo! Can we beat him? Can we do something? Well, here was the deal. Like, I'm in Vegas. I don't know nobody. I got no friends I can go hang out with. But I'm like, hey, babe, we got to go watch the game. So we show up to just a random sports bar where we're going to watch the game together, right? And I can remember being there. And like, we don't know anybody, right? And Portugal scores a goal. Goes up one nothing, And the whole place is just like, ah, oh, man. But then the U.S. gets a corner kick. Ball comes in, one of the Portugal guys heads it away, and it falls right to the feet of Jermaine Jones. Stops it, gives it a little tap, one little tap pass, comes in. One of the most beautiful strikes in the entire tournament. From about 10 yards outside of the box, he drills a shot that just starts to curve around a defender's head and goes into the side net, and this video will show you what happened. for like a whole other minute, okay? All right, that's, that's what it was like. I don't know any of these folks, right? I never met them in my life, but I'm hugging dudes I never met, right? We're giving high fives, guys jumping up into my lap, right? This is actually the second reason why God gave us the gift of diversity. It's because it plays a vital role in identity formation. Diversity plays a vital role in identity formation. First, it teaches us how to love. Second, it, te- it plays a vital role in identity formation because uh, when diverse individuals gather together, when they have something in common, it draws us into the same space. And when that happens, our commonality is actually highlighted by our differences. But because of shared mission, it actually allows the shared mission to draw us towards our ultimate identity. Now, I don't think God created diversity as a way to form our identity at things like soccer games, right? Or when I was worshiping at the throne of Michigan football a week and a half ago when they were crushing Penn State. Oh, it was so good. 100,000 of us all together. The greatest family ever. But that's not why God created diversity. God created diversity so that we could form our identity around Him rather the things than the things that we think are important. You see, I'm a Christian before I'm a man. I'm a Christian before I'm a white man. I'm a Christian before I'm a white man who's a father. I'm a Christian before I'm a white man who's a father and a husband. I'm a Christian before I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian before I'm an American. I'm a Christian before I'm any of those things. Because my allegiance to Jesus is that which allows all of us to be drawn together towards a common purpose and mission that even though we are different, we find the commonality and that begins to form our identity of who we're supposed to be. The third reason we find in the movie, The Lord of the Rings. 
You're like, ooh, what clips are you going to show us? None. I'm not going to show you a clip. I'm going to tell you about it, okay? So there's two guys, all right? One, his name is Gimli. He is a dwarf. Another guy, his name is Legolas. He is an elf, okay? Uh, I've seen the movies. I've not read the books. Some of you nerds out there have like even read the backstory. You probably even speak elfish to me right now if I asked you to. I get it. I'm grateful for you. I'm glad you're here. All right. I don't know exactly what happened in the past. I know there's some beef between the elves and the dwarves, and these two cats don't like each other. We find that out at the very beginning of movie number one. They get together and they can't stand each other. In fact, they're warring kind of, even though they're on the same team, all throughout. The first movie and the second movie, you're like, bro, it wasn't movies originally, it was books, get it right. Okay, the books, like they're, right, they're, they're, they're struggling and, or was it one book? It three. It's three, okay, good, thank you, thank you. <laughs> that was just to see who the nerds were, that was all that, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. You get to the very end of the third movie, and... Legolas is on his horse, and Gimli standing on the ground next to him. And Gimli looks up at Legolas, and he says these words. He says, I never thought I'd die fighting side by side with an elf. And Legolas looks at him and says, what about side by side with a friend? And Gimli looks back up at him and says, I, I can do that. I love that picture. You see, that helps us understand the third reason for our God-given diversity. We experience true community and find greater success in achieving our common purposes through our diversity. Through diversity, we experience true community and find greater success in achieving our common purpose. Uh, you see, Diversity teaches us to love, and diversity plays an, a vital role in our identity formation around the person of Jesus Christ. But it also allows us to experience the power of the diverse gifts and abilities that God gives to His body. Uh, you see, in, in the movie, if you've seen them, you know Gimli has what? An axe. That's right. That's what the elves are known for, or the dwarves are known for. They're known for their, like, their axe wielding, right? And Legolas has what? A bow. That's what the elves are known for. You see, they bring different gifts to the mix, and they're all needed. That's one of the reasons that diversity is so important for the church. A diverse group is usually more successful because it has a wider set of resources to draw upon. Diversity also facilitates community as we learn to depend on one another. Diversity also allows us to combine our unique gifts, talents, and experiences to achieve the common purpose. Without a variety of talents, without a variety of gifts, without different experiences, different ways that we have heard and seen God work in our lives, we become weak. It's actually in diversity that we find our true and greater strength. The fourth reason is probably the most difficult one to wrap my head around. Because the fourth reason is 
God created human diversity simply because God himself is revealed more fully and glorified more completely through our diversity. You see, I can't explain the Trinity. It's beyond me, okay? One God in three diverse persons. And when God creates us, humankind, in his image, we are intended in all of our diversity to reflect him better and glorify him more completely. I know this is true because I just got back from a trip to Cambodia in Indonesia where I worshiped alongside people that were my brothers and sisters in Christ. That was the one thing that we had in common, and it allowed us to love each other and care for each other and use our diverse gifts to see the mission of God accomplished. I had the privilege of baptizing uh, 29 people in Cambodia with Pastor Pana. The work that God has been doing through that church. I got to be a part of that. Was it because of something that I did, all my awesome gifts? No! It's because of something they did. But you know what? The week before that, I got to baptize six here in our own church because of gifts that God had given to us in our body. Like, guys, that's amazing. That's super cool. And I'm singing these songs, and I don't even know the language. So I'm not really singing. I'm trying to, like, hum along. And then all of a sudden I realize, wait, I know that tune. And then I started singing in English, and they're singing in Cambodian. I'm like, wow, come here. Like, that's sweet. Then I'm in Zambia last summer, and, and I'm singing with my brothers and sisters who are Zambian, and they're raising up a shout to the Lord, and I'm like, ah, oh, like, that's good stuff. We need each other. I see how they dance in worship. They're unashamed. Maybe if they danced like me, they would be more ashamed, but they, they were not ashamed, and I realized I need more of that, more of that undignified spirit in how I worship. God is not male. I know you're like, Jesus was a dude. Yeah, I get it. God, Jesus was a male, yes. But God is spirit. He is not male or female. Just like God is not Caucasian or Latino or Asian or African or Indian or Philan, whatever of the 5,000 ethnicities, but God is more fully revealed by all of it. God is more completely glorified by all of it. So, why do I care about this? Why did we choose to make this one of our values? And I'll tell you, honestly, I, I wrestled with this one probably more than any of them. Our, the team that helped create these values, it wasn't just me, wrestled with this one more than any of them. And, and we said, we want to name this specifically. The reason uh, is a little bit of probably my own upbringing. You see, I grew up with, uh, I have um, a brother that's black, I have three sisters that are black. I have a brother and two sisters that are biracial. Uh, I have a wife from Southeast Asia. Well, she's from Philadelphia, but she's Southeast Asian. I have mixed kids myself and a son who's black. I have nieces and nephews that are mixed race. I have uh, brothers and sisters that have struggled with all kinds of different things. Developmental disabilities, physical disabilities, mental health disabilities. I am who I am today because of the family that God allowed me to grow up in. I've learned about racism because my family experienced it. I've learned about how beautiful kids with disabilities are 
and the unbelievably rich and deep truths about God that they have taught me. I've experienced the power that suffering brings in the development of empathy because of my family. And church, I want us to experience that too. Our church needs to. Revelation 7-9 says that around the throne of God, there are people from every tribe, every tongue, every language, every color, every ethnicity, and they are praising God right now. And when we gather, we believe that we open up a window into that and we enter into and join with what's happening there. And we want our church to look more and more like that. The more we look like that, the better off we are. We want that. We need that. I desire that for us. Then the question is, though, how? Right? Because let's be honest. All right? We are currently a predominantly Anglo church. All right? Uh, We live in a city that's about 70%. I want our church to reflect our city. I don't know that we currently do. Not perfectly. I want more of that. I need more of that. My son who's black needs more black men that he can look up to that are followers of Jesus. And uh, your son that's white needs more black men to look up to that are followers of Jesus. And Asian and Indian and Latino. Our church needs that. We're here in Cascade. We get it. This is a middle, probably upper middle class area. But here's what I love about our church is that we draw from all over GR. And friends, our church ought to be a shining beacon of what it looks like to be surrounded and transformed and find our identity in Jesus alone and how we come together to the area, the city that God has placed us in. That means we've got work to do. So you're like, well, how are we going to do it? Let me tell you a couple of things that I think we can do. Number one, uh, this is something I would like for all of us to be able to say. I will seek to know, learn, and love people who are different than me. Seek. That is active. To know. Okay? Just to get to know somebody. To learn from. That means you've got to listen to them. And to love. That means you've got to serve and care for them. People who are different from me. All right? We celebrate the diversity that God has given us. So who could this be in your life? I want you to think about that right now. Who are the people that you know that are different from you? All right? I don't care if it's ethnically different, socioeconomically different, have different abilities than you. Who are the people that you know that are different from you? How can you connect with them so that you can learn from them, so that you can love on them? Uh, I also think it'd be really valuable if most of our church would read one of these two books. There's lots of good books out there to read about this, but uh, I think there's going to be two books that are up on the screen. If you want, pull out your phone, take a picture of them. You can find them on Amazon, uh, probably your local um, Baker Bookhouse. Uh, you can get there and you can order it and you can get it. Read a book. Learn about people who are different than you. Recognize the value that that brings to the people of God, the community of God, the family of God, the church. And then what I'd like for us to do is to pray for two things. Okay? Two things. Number one, I want you to pray for opportunities to show love to somebody different than you are. All right? So right now I'm going to ask you to do that. Close your eyes, and that's a very simple prayer. Ask God to allow you 
to show love to somebody who's different than you in the next month? Just close your eyes and ask him to do that right now. God, make us aware of those people at those places and times that you have ordained for us in this next month so that we will act on what we're asking you for right now. In Jesus' name. And then the last thing that we're going to do is we're going to pray that as we grow in diversity, everyone would feel seen, heard, included, and loved in our church. Uh, We want to be radically inclusive. That word's got all kinds of interesting things attached to it, doesn't it? Radical inclusivity. We also want to be radically faithful to Scripture. Uh, You see, friends, as a church, we're not going to shy away from what we believe Scripture is teaching us. We're not going to, we can't be, okay, because we have to place God above everything. At the same time, you cannot read Scripture and realize that Jesus loved everyone and opened his arms to everyone and invited them in so that he could transform them, every single one of us has brokenness in our lives, has areas in our lives that God wants to continually move and work through and engage with to shape us into the image of Christ. But as a church, we have to be arms wide open to say we we will love everybody that God brings here. Because every single person in our church has work to do, growth to accomplish. And so we will be radically inclusive and at the same time radically faithful to Scripture. We have to. And so I want to say this. Uh, if you're a person of color, you're welcome here. Not only are you welcome here, but your perspective is desired and needed. We need you. If you are a blue-collar worker or a white-collar worker, we need you. Your perspective is valid and necessary for our church. If you are a refugee or an immigrant, you are welcome here. We need you. Your perspective is necessary for our power as a church. If you are older, because we got a lot of young folks, if you are older, like me, you are needed You are valued. Your perspective is necessary. Church, we have to be about diversity because God is about diversity. In diversity, we begin to understand what it means to truly love as God loves. Diversity helps to form our identity around Christ and Christ alone. Diversity helps us accomplish the mission that God has called us to accomplish. And diversity best helps to praise and glorify our Creator, who is a diverse God Himself. Let's be that church. Pursue that value, knowing that it is near and dear to God's heart. Father God, we love You. We want to be a church that is about what You are about. God, I love the diversity that You've created. God, I will admit it makes it hard. It's way easier to just pastor a bunch of people who think like me and act like me and talk like me and like the same things that I like, but Jesus, that would be so boring. And it wouldn't allow me to become like Christ as I need to be. 
Jesus, help us to be a church that genuinely loves and cares for and values and listens to and includes all the diversity you have designed into this world. That you might be lifted high. That you might be glorified and your mission accomplished in Grand Rapids as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.